Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, what's it like being married to a gay man? And of course, this is from the perspective of a straight woman. It's true. Because being married to a gay man is different if you're also a gay man. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both regularly get pretty roasted online in comment sections. It's true. Um, However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben always responds kindly with thoughtful well-crafted messages, and I just can't engage with the haters because <laughs> it'll just go downhill really fast. First of all, you're being very kind, but if someone reads my blog post and hates it, like they read my blog post, and that's like a kind thing that they did. I usually just text my brother. I'm like, hey, you want to take care of this? Because I'll get too mad. And then he starts taking care of it. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I should have done this. Also, you two keep laughing. <laughs> we haven't introduced you yet. <laughs> appreciate that that you like the jokes. No, we're happy to have you. Uh, We would like to share a variety of voices and perspectives. So today we're joined by Margaret and Travis Stewart. A rare day. We have our first returning guest and the first time we've ever had two guests. So Travis was on for our episode, Should I Come Out? And you did such a good job and have such a compelling story. And we've had so many messages just wanting to know more about you and more about you, Margaret, and just how that was. And so we just kind of made up a question <laughs> because we had so many requests to just hear more about your story. So We're so thrilled you did because we feel like it's a question a lot of people want to ask us, but they're too afraid to. Yeah. So this is awesome. Yeah. Great. So, Travis, we've gotten to know you a little bit on a previous episode. Margaret, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, raised here in Utah. I'm from Nephi. I'm an original Nephite. <laughs> One of two children. My older sister, she's 13 months older than I, is married to her partner. She's lesbian. She lives here in Salt Lake. And yeah, I grew up loving the outdoors, spent a lot of time on my motorcycle, running around, adventuring. We've been married nearly 35 years, six children and three grandchildren. And we've served, uh, my husband was a mission president in Texas. We served together. That was an incredible experience and um, right now one of the joys of our lives is spending a lot of time in our cabin mm-hmm. up in uh, Fairview Canyon and yeah, I don't know I have a lot of diverse interests and people are Great. my favorite things. <laughs> uh, so tell us you know, what first attracted you to Travis? Um, we have a lot in common as far as like being raised in small town Utah in not active LDS families. I don't know. I think there was a lot of our life experience that was similar. Also, he just had similar interests. Like he, we went hiking one time. It was in the spring. The little tiny rye grasses were just coming up and they were so beautiful. And he went over and started like petting the little rye grasses and said, aren't they just nibbleable? Don't you just want to nibble them? And I... I had always noticed them my whole life and loved that type time of spring. And when he did that, I seriously looked at him and went, oh, my gosh, I just love you that you even know they exist. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. It was just a thing, you know, and there have been a lot of. It was like this connection that you truly felt. Truly connection, like a secret connection. Like, who does that? Who likes that? Not, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, he was funny. He was kind to everybody. He was friends with everybody. Intelligent, didn't take himself too seriously. I loved his commitment to the gospel. There was just a lot of things that. I just really, really liked about him. So Travis came out about 30 years into your marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like when he came out? Like, what were your initial thoughts? Well, and it's always interesting because you kind of want a definitive timeline of when things started or stopped. For a period of time there, he had, I knew that there was something up with him. He was detached a little 
and feeling a little emotionally, I don't know, I could just tell something was going on for him. So I'd kind of been wondering and anticipating what, what's going on here. Maybe I'll know, maybe I won't. You know, sometimes those things come. They're a deal. You talk about them and deal with them. Sometimes you don't. The morning, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, he, he was up doing some things. I could tell there was a little bit of agitation. I was just relaxing in bed, and he came into our bedroom and closed the door, and he said, I need to talk to you about something. And usually that's me. I'm usually the mm-hmm. one, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> but it was him this time, and, and it was kind of that, whoa, this is a serious thing. My stomach kind of dropped a little. He was walking around the end of the bed, and I had this very distinct impression from the spirit, and I know that it was, that said, whatever comes out of his mouth, you need to hear it, and you need to accept it. So that got my attention. Like, I sat up in bed. He came around and sat down, and he started sharing and um, telling me. And... It was good that I had that direction because then as he was talking, it wasn't about, I wasn't so reactionary. I wasn't like just going, oh my gosh, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? What does this mean about me? It was like, my job in this moment is to just be with him in this moment to hear it and receive it. I don't have to make any judgments right now. I don't, I don't need to start making meaning around this. I just need to be in this moment and it was such a blessing because I could just relax and be in it he was very emotional he's not normally emotional and I could just let him be emotional without feeling like I needed to fix it mm-hmm. so so your natural response would have been to react in some way well absolutely but because of that impression you had you knew not to do that right right I just felt such deep compassion like you've been bearing this by yourself And you've also been, which this came later, you've been making meaning around what it means to be gay and you have deep, deep shame and and pain. Like this is, I'm bad. I'm bad and I'm telling you I'm bad and me thinking you're the same man I've known all this time. But it uh, it was a very tender and very beautiful experience even though it was a lot of pain coming out for him. It was a truly bonding and sweet experience for us to be in that together. Didn't mean we knew what to do with it <laughs> right away. Now what do we do? But um, I'm so impressed with both of you because a Travis that takes, I mean, I, I remember the first time I came out to someone and I like your gut drops and you're going to throw up. And like, I literally thought I was going to like throw up in my friend's car and that she was just my cousin. Like I hadn't been, it wasn't like a wife that I'd been married to for 30 years and had kids with. So I can't imagine that, the pressure you were facing and also Margaret that is the perfect coming out reaction like that is what I wish everyone would do and I hope that everyone hears your words and and can prepare for when someone comes out because that's that's it how how did Travis's coming out affect your marriage loaded question (laughs) (laughs) well and here's something we kind of had to work through and this is a point I've been thinking about you know when Travis told me you you wanted us to come on I thought what are really some of the big things that I've learned that have been so impactful? Mm-hmm. One of them for me was our narratives around things will often drive our behavior. Like if I believed, if my narrative was a gay man can't be married to a straight woman, I would start looking for signs of the truth of, of that. You know, like I'll, I'll have confirmation bias. I'll start looking for confirmation of my belief, right? And you'll see things when you do that. And for me, I think initially how it affected our marriage was we both were kind of like 
take our basket, throw it into the air. Everything's up in the air. We're not quite sure what our marriage looks like. But when things started to settle, we're like, uh, we've been married for almost 30 years, and our marriage is our marriage. And if we think it's different and it's going to just sh- shake our foundation, then uh, then we'll start acting like that. Instead, it was like we kind of both looked at each other and we're like, well, we've been through plenty of hard things in our lives, and this is another thing that we're going to have to work to figure out. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but our whole lives we haven't known what tomorrow will bring. So this isn't new in that way, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think we, I think initially we felt like, oh no, you know, kind of what is this going to mean for us? But then we were both kind of looking at each other like, you good? Like we always had done. So it wasn't something earth-shatteringly new and difficult. It was like, here's another part in our lives that we need to cling to each other. It's surprising how much of it wasn't such a big deal, but it felt like it was supposed to be a big deal. Does that make sense? Like here yeah. you have 30 years of this really great marriage and then there's this big piece of information dropped on it and you you would suppose that that big piece of new information is going to like just change everything immediately. Well, nothing changed. I was still the same person. Right. Um, we were still happily married. I, it, you know, I, I needed to come out I needed to tell her about this, but fortunately, I had been faithful in our marriage, and th- that wasn't a bombshell that I was dropping. You know, I'm gay, and I've also done something. Right. So it was just it was just this, just knowing that I was gay. That that was kind of the thing that landed, but it um, really didn't change anything because I was still the same person I was, and she was still the same person she you know she had always been. It was just this new amount of information, and we thought, well, this is supposed to really do something because in our heads in our narratives or the expectation of society or culturally or something it was supposed to like really rock us right yeah and like, like maybe should we be getting divorced right yeah, well, yeah, right I, right that's a, well i'm sure that's question we, number one right hey. like so are we can we not stay married then can we it took some time before we kind of just circled back and went well that was a lot of fuss for nothing <laughs> you know it was yeah. if that makes sense yeah i feel like no matter what the challenge or learning opportunity in our life, the, the, the goal is the same. It is our eternal development. And so if we look at things as if it's not supposed to happen, this is not supposed to happen. Like a gay man can't be married to a woman. Well, I'm not going to decide that for anybody. I can't decide that for him. I can only decide for me. Yes, there are some questions there that I don't have answers for, mm-hmm. but I do believe because it exists in the realm of human experience as part of God's plan. It's not a mistake. It's not a defect. It is an absolute part of God's plan. And so many things are that we want to say, we want to marginalize and say, this is not supposed to be part of God's plan. This is wrong. No, if it exists within the realm of human experience, it is part of his plan and for our learning and experience. So, you know, it's how you look at things that really can make a big difference. I have a friend who, you know, listened to his podcast and we got together for lunch and and we're visiting and she is palpably agitated, worried for me. Mm -hmm. She's taken all the pain of what would it be like for me if I found out my husband was gay? We'd been in the same married student ward, you know, with, Mm -hmm. we'd been friends all these years. So she said, (laughs) we were having conversations, but she kind of couldn't pull it together, but she just blurted out, are you going to stay married to him? And I, kind of paused because I'm like whoa like this is a loaded question because she's got a lot of emotion behind it and then I'm like well yeah yeah like today (laughs) ask me tomorrow you know and and you're in the same boat you know and then she said well 
what if he does something? And it was so interesting because in the moment I had to stop and go, you're worried that if you were married to a gay man, he would, he would just always be wanting a man and he would do something. He would leave me. He would have an affair. But the truth is, what if I do something? What if you do something? We're all capable of doing something. And that was her fear. She was projecting her fear onto me and, and wanting me to fix it for her, wanting me to solve it. Like, mm-hmm. well, how can you live with him be living with the fear of he might do something? And for me, I'm like, I live every day knowing that I'm just as capable of doing something, meaning something wrong or bad, as he is. And I've watched as we've both made choices over life, and I have, I have fair confidence that we both want to progress and do good things and to follow God as best we know how, whatever that looks like. So my decision to stay with him isn't based on whether or not I think he'll do something wrong, yeah. because he will, and so will I. So it's interesting how those beliefs, what we believe about something will really just drive our behavior. And for some people, they can't. They can't stay in a marriage because their head just can't be okay with that. Yeah, well, and I think one thing we do, I mean, the intersection of faith and sexual orientation is so confusing, right? Like, how do you reconcile faith and orientation? That's like the golden question, right? Everyone's trying to figure this out. And I think we have to let other people figure it out for themselves. Like. I think so much we're looking for like a poster child or like this is the way to do it. Here's the prescriptive method to do this. Um, And I appreciate that like you didn't do that for yourself and you don't put that on other people because you know what? I've seen a lot of like mixed orientation marriages or you know, like situations like this be really terrible and like divorce was necessary for like the spiritual and mental and emotional health of both people. I I wish we could just stop like superimposing our ideas on somebody else and just like honor each other's agency. And like, if that's working for you right now, great. If it's not in five years, also great. Like, like do what you need to do to be happy and healthy. People might hear us and, and, and listen to Margaret, and um, they they might go, um, "Wow, this is working for them." Oh, they're really strong, or she's really amazing. We don't want to be the poster child in either direction. We don't want to be the poster child to have how to have a successful mixed orientation marriage, but we also don't want to be dismissed as this couple who have superpowers and know how to manage it perfectly, right. and are some exception to something. And, and be dismissed with, you know, oh yeah, they're just extra good and extra special or extra righteous or extra whatever, and, and then just be dismissed the other direction as well. Mm-hmm. We just are having our experience learning to love and, and growing together. Well, and there's factors that probably go into that. Like you had 30 years of solid foundations, knowing each other, family, like, like things to ground you and like more reasons sure. to stay together, right? Is, is that is that true? Gosh, it's really interesting when you ask these questions. I'm like, sometimes I just don't know. Like, I don't have an answer for saying, yes, our 30 years together were a really solid foundation. And we just really like each other. That, from, that was evident from the very beginning. It was like, you're easy to be with. If I could comment there on that. I, I feel like sexual attraction and sexuality and intimacy, it takes learning with someone else how to be intimate together. You're bringing the needs of two individuals together to learn sexually what works for you. So things may change or ebb or flow. So to just say this is how it's going to be and how it will always be, no. As a gay man, I feel like everybody looks at me all about my sexuality as if 
sometimes I'm nothing but a, a gay person. And, and then I think they take and apply that in marriage when, when really I'm so much more than just my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And marriage is so much more than just sexual uh, sexuality or, or the, the blending of sexuality or, or sexual intimacy. I just feel like that's just such a, a narrow view of what strong intimacy or relationships in general should be about. So what I'm hearing you say is the question for this episode should be, what's it like to be married to Travis? <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah, what's well, it like to be yeah, married well, to a gay maybe, man. Well, I, and I guess I, I keep asking myself all the time, as people maybe question my ability to be successful in a mixed orientation marriage, doesn't everybody marry their best friend? I don't know how everybody else goes into marriage. I don't know how other gay men do it, and I don't know how heterosexual men do it. But it seems like this is really odd for the way I've done this, or it's perceived to be an odd thing that I have done. In our LDS culture, of course, we don't get to practice our sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we, don't, we don't get to practice being intimate. Right. It's this thing we say for marriage, you know, no sexual relations outside of marriage. I, I wasn't burdened with, can I do this? I mean, am I going to be sexually compatible? Um, can, can I do this? Because really I'm thinking most people, LDS, who have saved themselves sexually for marriage, going into the wedding night, going into a sexual relationship, do you know that you're going to be successful? Do you know this is going to be okay? Because I think people might look at me as a gay man and think, well, you're not completely fulfilled because you are oriented toward men, but you're married to a woman. So you probably aren't really having the full experience sexually. You probably don't really know. And I don't, because I've never been sexually active with a male before. But you're okay with that. I'm good with that. As you guys are talking, what I'm hearing you say is that you have all these levels where you are best friends, you connect, and you're intimate, and those are the things that really matter to you. Like that, That's what your marriage is built on. And, and I, I, th- I think that's really beautiful. As I've been reflecting on my experiences dating women, because I dated a lot and really tried hard to get married, a, lo- a lot of my desire to get married was because I was supposed to, right. not because I wanted to. So like you, you guys got married because you wanted to. You were best friends sure. and you loved yeah. each other. Um, and I remember one girl I was dating, I told her I was gay, and we were on a walk, and I asked if I could hold her hand. She said, no, because you don't want to hold my hand. And I lied, and I said, no, I do. I really want to. And she let me hold her hand, and I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and when we got to where we were, and I could, where we were going, and I didn't have to hold her hand anymore, I was very grateful. And then we went back to my house, and we watched a movie, and I held her hand during the movie, and I was like, maybe I'll get more comfortable with this. And, and like 10 minutes in the movie, I lied and said I had to go to the bathroom, so I wouldn't have to hold her hand. I went to the bathroom, and I came back, and I didn't hold her hand when I got back, because I just didn't want to, even though she was my best friend and we got along really well, like that, that physicalness just never clicked for me and it just always made me feel so uncomfortable. And even, even with just like friends who are girls, like my, my friend Deb, who I'm really close to, she'll like want to rub my back and I was like tense up. Hmm. Physical closeness with women just makes me feel really uncomfortable. As I dated and prayed and pondered, like I just don't feel like, like a mixed orientation marriage is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not sure that I, I could be successful in a mixed orientation marriage. I just don't think that's the thing that's going to work for me. Well, Ben, I think you make a really good point. You need to be like aware of what you're feeling, but also I think we need to pray about this. Like if we really believe that God can give us direction, like we should pray about where to go. And I've had very similar experiences trying to date girls. And as I prayed about it, God was like, this is not for you. Like stop trying, please. And I'm, I'm sure like it was like, cringy and difficult for him to watch me <laughs> trying to date girls because it was it was it was bad right and and that's not 
what my path holds. And like, I've had very clear impressions that I should not be dating girls and never try. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Like that's such a weight off to me. I think that's the bigger key is that we want a clear pattern of how things are supposed to be. And we think it should be the same for everybody. And our learning journey is not the same. So we can't hold someone else to our experience, but we can challenge ourselves on our beliefs about any aspect of our lives. Like I can't say to myself, this is how it is. It's, it's set in stone now and it will never change because we are constantly progressing and growing through our new experiences. So things may change or ebb or flow. So to just say, this is how it's going to be and how it will always be. And I think that's where humility comes in and why I think God values it so much is because we're more, he's more just hoping that we'll allow him to teach us through our experiences and we won't try to decide this experience should be everyone's experience. Everyone should learn what I've learned from this experience. And it's not that way. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about the ways Heavenly Father allows us to go on doing things our own way Mm -hmm. and believing in thoughts that are at this level when he's at this level. He doesn't freak out and go, let's get you to progression, like let's get you to salvation right now. He allows us to be in our pertinent learning experiences and make, have misunderstandings, make wrong choices, exercising our agency and experiencing bitter, and sometimes for a long time before we finally go, this isn't what I want. Like this, no matter how hard I try, the should of what my relationship's supposed to look like, no, what does my relationship look like? Travis, do you think the fact that you were a virgin when you got married allowed you to more fully like, be in this relationship with her? Yeah, for sure. I, I imagine that had I been sexually active with men, it, to whatever degree in my life, to switch and, you know, or to make that switch to a woman and, and that type of a sexual experience, I think could have been problematic. I would say, I'm, I think, I feel, I don't, I don't know how I'd ever know, but I think that was helpful for me because I went into our sexual experience focused on her and us. I didn't bring some third-party experience or some other type of experience in there with it to compare it to or compete against it or base it off of, was, was this right. good or bad? And, and I've been able to stay focused in that. I've, I've not ever um, lost myself um, in some other type of ideas or fantasies with someone else. I've always been able to keep that together with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's been really powerful. And it's something that I've worked at. I've worked to be present with her in the moment, in intimacy, and that connection uh, without it being some other type of looking for or imagining some other experience. Yeah. Do you find it frustrating that people are so intrigued by like intimate sex lives? Like that's something that like you don't really jump on someone right i'm not going around asking people about what they do right with their partners but i feel like with with you maybe people feel like they have more of a right to ask about that just out of curiosity it it really does that's a great question charlie because it really does i I, I, will say to each other all the time like what is it with people so (laughs) concerned about what we're doing in the bedroom i i'm not thinking that about everybody else but why why did they look at us? But, but I realized that this is just unusual. It's unique. It's, and they're trying to wrap their head around it. They're trying to make sense of it for themselves. And, 
and they're, they can't. And so they're trying to. So, so what they'll do is come to some type of uh, tidy answer for themselves to, to feel comfortable. And it will be either, well, he's not being true to himself. He's, he's settling for less. I hate that. I hate that anybody would think or for a moment or feel, and I really shouldn't even care, but the people think, I've just settled for less. I'm just, and she's settled for less, and that she's not getting what she deserves, or I'm not getting what I deserve. I just, I'm just thinking, come on, people, really, you're not in my head, you're not in my body, you're not in my heart. You have no, no one's in any position to be making any type of judgment about what that even looks like. Well, and again, that kind of goes back to just letting people do what they feel is best for them yeah, and not comparing sure. yourself or exactly. trying to put yourself in somebody else's exactly. situation. What the I, fact that I can't do it doesn't mean that Travis can. Exactly. And the fact that somebody else can doesn't mean you should. You should. Like exactly. It, it, exactly, for sure. And, and being able to honor your sense of being where you are, I think is so pleasing to God. Our human minds want meaning to be concise and, it, and the same. Like it can't be but if you look in the scriptures the patterns of the scriptures people are all over the place all over the place in their experience what they're learning and why don't we see that pattern and go and that's us too we don't get to say like ben shouldn't if ben feels discomfort with having a girl touch him or touching her he should honor that Mm -hmm. rather than i need to be like travis or i need to be like somebody else that Honoring is a righteous exercise of our agency. It's choosing. It's not deferring to what it should be. Well, I'm supposed to like a girl, so therefore I must this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. I don't think God's pleased when we we impose upon ourselves, and that's true of our testimony on anything. Like even I know there was a time for Travis when he had to reevaluate a little bit his spirituality because of it course. was like, wait a minute. Which is a big question for you. How do you, how do we reconcile these? And it changed from, I do this because I want to stay in the safe box to why do I do this? Why do I do this, this, and this? And and one thing I've noticed is, you know, those of us who are openly gay and in the church or openly gay and out of the church, uh, we get attacked a lot for our life choices. Like people tell us we're doing things wrong a lot. At least I get told that. Well, we were just <laughs> and, talking about the comments we get. Yeah. Like uh-huh. he, there's always like haters in the comments and there's sure. always going to be. And so, yeah. and so I get defensive sometimes. So sometimes we're like, well, look at this beautiful mixed orientation marriage. You can do that too. Or look at Ben living his life single, like, like as a single person. Like you can do that too. And so sometimes I feel like when we are interacting with someone or hearing about someone who has a different experience than we do, we get defensive. We're like, well, that can't work. Like the way I'm doing it is the right way. And uh, and I think we just need to kind of take a step back and say, you know, Travis and Margaret can have a beautiful mixed orientation marriage and their mixed orientation marriage doesn't conflict with my choice to not be in the mixed orientation marriage. Sometimes I think that comes from a place, and, and this is surely for me, that it comes from a place of insecurity. If I'm not really strong on where I am with where I stand on certain issues, um, I'm going to look for people to reinforce what I've chosen so that I feel more validated or secure in, in my decisions. So, um, for example, I may look to other men who are successful in a mixed orientation marriage. It validates me. And I think that that could be the other case. It could be someone who's in a same-sex relationship or out of the church or whatever, and they, they look for other people to validate their choices. And I think, and again, I think it comes from a need to constantly feed a little bit of insecurity or unsettledness that I think is natural in all of us 
when we just aren't completely convinced of everything, that sometimes we need a little, we, we want a little reinforcement. And sometimes that's making, if others look bad, then my decision looks good. Right. It'd be nice yeah. if we could reframe that and look at it as like, I'm not sure of what to do, so I'm going to educate myself and like yeah. try to get points of reference for what other people are exactly. doing and then like feel what's best for me. And be okay if that changes tomorrow or switches back. Or like we have to allow ourselves to be malleable and dynamic. I, I've noticed that for me, if I'm not treading a realm of ambiguity, I feel trapped. If I'm trying to box myself into something, I'm always going to feel trapped. And it's scary to unbox that <laughs> and be like, you know what? I'm going to look at different options. I'm going to assess my life. I'm going to check in. I'm going to change my mind when I get new information. I'm going to change back sometimes, you know? That's okay. It, you don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah. And it's okay that everybody else is doing that too. We have to let I mean, other people do every, it. Everybody has to do that yeah. because we need to do that. We need to quit just looking across and judging. And, uh, and We, and, quit, and we need to quit deciding as well that pertinent learning life experience is either good or bad. To use agency is not, it is to deliberately make a choice. And in order to make a choice, you have to know different aspects of what you're choosing. We have to consider alternatives. We have to look at different life experiences and we have to be able to say, we, to choose. When we choose, we're making a decision based on information and not fear. Like right. I, I'm just afraid of this and so we still constantly have to use our agency to decide every day. And anyway. that, That's so powerful. And Ben, if I can, I'm just gonna use you as an example because you frequently tell the story of like, until someone gave you permission to leave the church, you like that's when you realized that you wanted to stay mm -hmm. because like you finally recognized that that was like a viable option for your life. And then it's not like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to hold on, because you're gonna get stressed. It's like hanging on to the bar in middle school. You know, like, no one wants to feel like that all the time. But like, if you allow yourself like, oh, I could let go of the bar and still be okay, you know? Then like, maybe you'll hang on, maybe you, like, ah, yep. and that's powerful. And one thing you said, Margaret, that I, that I really liked was, you know, not making choices based on fear. Like, what I'm seeing is you guys got married and stayed married because you have an intimate connection, you love each other, and you want to be together. A lot of my dating was based on fear. Like mm. I didn't want to be alone, I don't want people to know I was gay, and I was supposed to do that. And that I was afraid, and I'm supposed to, really guided my actions, and those led me to make, making a lot of wrong choices. And I don't see you guys doing that. And, and I, fortunately, I didn't ever have that with, on me, Ben. I, I never felt like I was that marriage would fix this, or that I was not supposed to get married, or I was supposed to get married. Again, it was from another time, and, and um, a lot of um, just innocence of going. I, I want a family. I, I I never saw or thought of other options. I I wanted a, a wife, and I wanted children, and I knew that I was having this experience. Mark, I want to ask you a question that I feel like a lot of people would have. Okay, good. One of the worries I have about women who are in mixed orientation marriages is that they might not feel that they are desirable, mm -hmm. or that they might not feel that they are attractive, mm -hmm. um, knowing that they're married to someone who is primarily oriented towards men. How has that been for you? That's such a great question. Really fair. Something that I hear a lot from wives immediately, uh, you know, like, was I just a prop in your life of what you wanted? And, and, and I fit and I would comply. And so therefore, like, so weird. What narratives just pop up into your mind? But here, here's my thing. People will say, you deserve someone who really wants you and, and who can really fulfill you. And I always think when somebody says that to me or implies that, I, I always think, what do you know about what, what it feels like for me to be wanted? 
I did ask myself those questions, but then they would be moot. I'd be like, if I'm going to put them out here in a generic paper to answer those questions, that's one thing. But if I'm talking about Travis and my experience with Travis, it's a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, it's possible for a woman in a mixed orientation marriage to just absolutely feel like confused and why and 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 is this happiness? But when has it been wrong to gra- grapple with hard questions? Mm-hmm. When is it bad for you to have to ask yourself those questions? Yeah, yeah. What I'm hearing you say is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's not so much am I attractive, it's how connected are we? Good summation. Isn't it so funny that everything always comes back to we need to be introspective and open and honest with ourselves and God and others? It's simple to say. It's not simple to do, <laughs> but like, but yeah, that's such an important mindset. You know, I, I don't know why I feel like I need to defend my marriage. Uh, you know, I, I say this all the time. I'm, I'm too gay for a lot of people in my life, and the rest I'm not gay enough for them. I'm flippantly may say it's it's bad enough to be gay, but I'm also in a mixed orientation marriage, which almost feels like a double slap in the face from both sides. I don't want people to think again that I've settled for something less, that I'm I'm not true to myself, um, or that I'm I've I've taken this and I'm giving up this thing over here. Um, again, for me, it's not a matter of of sacrificing one thing for another. I have this beautiful, wonderful thing. And it also comes with covenants and promises and blessings and um, a commitment that closes the door for me on worrying about the other options. Mm-hmm. And I think, isn't that marriage in general? When you get married, it closes the door on a lot of other options that you maybe have thought about or wondered about or wanted to consider. And so I'm, I'm very pleased and happy where I am and just want People know I don't expect everybody to feel the same or do the same. I totally am happy with where people are, but it's going to stop there. I have to say this is funny, too, because we're not in a mixed orientation marriage. We're both oriented to men. So it's not mixed. It's it's equal. So, you know. (laughs) Well, thank you both for coming on and being so open. I mean, these these are hard and, like, awkward things to talk about, and I'm very grateful for you for, for just being so transparent and vulnerable. Thank you. And even though you've chosen a life path different from the one I've chosen, I just wish you guys like the most happiness and success. And, and we, we wish and hope the very best for, for, for you. you guys as well and whatever your journeys look like. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard four perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time, 